0: I love when Clive gets up here and talks. You just never know what he's going to say <laughs> and how he's going to say it. And one of my favorite things is he always makes you go, oh gosh, what, what does he mean? <laughs> I was able to speak at a uh, black tie gala downtown last night, the JDRF gala. I was the, the, kind of the final speaker. And... Um, we were—it was a fundraiser for a nonprofit, and we raised like six hundred thousand dollars. It was a big, big thing. And I mentioned it to Clive, and he looked at me and said, "That's pretty good for a rookie." <laughs> oh my goodness! I love the team that the Lord has brought together. I love the people that He's bringing together. I love the community that He is building. There's some exciting things happening here at Salt Box, and the Lord is in our midst. So uh, we are in Luke 4.38, is where I'm going to start reading today. We're going to go through 5.11. We've got kind of a chunk of scripture. Um, We're actually starting a new series, and uh, it's called the Cephas, or Peter, series. It's actually the calling of Simon Peter, and it's his uh, sort of transition from a fisherman to the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. So really uh, phenomenal. So uh, this Sunday, we're going to focus on the calling of Simon Peter. The next Sunday is called Sifted Like Wheat. That's a passage that we're going to look at. Uh, Then June 2nd, we're going to take a look at what happened after Peter denied Jesus. And then June 9th, which is also Pentecost Sunday, we're going to take a look at Peter's first sermon, which happened on Pentecost Sunday. So a really neat little timeline that's going to unfold there. So, today we're going to be exploring sort of this calling and when Christ Jesus first met Peter and uh, take a look at how he got a new name. And I think I love this if I just sort of distill it down here for a minute. I love this because Peter is reckless, he's loud, he's got a story, he's made a mess of things, he keeps making a mess of things, he's always stumbling over himself. He's always tripping over his own tongue. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. And for some reason, when I read about Peter, I'm like, oh, there's hope for me. So let's start. We're in Luke 4, and we are going to start in verse 38 and go through 5, uh, chapter, or, uh, verse 11. Sound good? Okay, let's start reading. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now now this is Simon Peter, his name gets changed, so this is is the guy. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Chapter 5, verse 1. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Galilee, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He sat at the water's edge with two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into deep water, let down your nets for a cat. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Lord Jesus, as we open the scriptures today, Holy Spirit, as we talk and share, as we laugh, would you stir our hearts Father, more than my voice, more than me speaking, more than any great notes or any great sermon, would you be active in our presence, Holy Spirit, to enliven us, to form us, to shape us, and most importantly, to call us like you called Simon Peter. Father, we praise you that you pick people like Simon Peter who are a mess, and you take them and shape them and mold them and fashion them and then commission them to be sharers in your gospel and your ministry. In the name of Jesus, we pray amen. In uh, 1999, I got to uh, travel through Alaska. And one of the things I got to do when I was there in Alaska is I got to salmon fish. I don't know if you know anything about salmon fishing. It's not quite as glamorous as the uh, dangerous catch where they're on the big Bering Sea. This is on the Prince William Sound and the waves aren't near as big. Um, but I was salmon fishing, and it's about, you have about a 70-foot boat, and then you've got a little tiny um, jitney, a little, a little uh, skiff of a boat, and you have a lookout high up on one of these ships, and they're looking around for pods or schools of salmon. And when they spot one, you, you shoot off and, and head off with this big boat over to this school of salmon. And when they get there, the big boat's going one way, and the jitney goes the other way, and there's this massive pile of net on the deck. It's about up to the ceiling and, you know, this whole area up front, huge. And the net pulls, and it makes a big circle around this group of fish. And then there's a big crane that slowly begins to uh, kind of pull the net in, and the, the ball of fish gets uh, sort of compressed into one area, and then ultimately it lifts the fish up and loads them onto the deck. And that, this particular day, there was so many fish caught. They opened the holes of the boat, and they filled this entire 70-foot boat, all the holes, all the freezers up, and then they deck-loaded the boat. I've never seen so many fish. I was standing waist-deep. Literally, have a photo of me standing waist-deep in pink salmon about this big. Never seen anything like it. We went to sell them at market that day, and I grabbed a few of them for dinner. But here we have Simon Peter in our passage, and he's being called, and he deckloads the boat. The boat is so full, and as we're going to walk through this passage, what happens is uh, he has to even call his fishing partners over, Zebedee and Sons. The sons of Zebedee, James and John. But it would, their, their business must have been named Zebedean Sons. They may have had a fleet of boats from what it looks like. But he has to call them over and they've deck-loaded these two boats. And then he turns it around and he says, follow me because from now on I'm going to make you a fisher of men and women. So that is what we're going for today. Let's dig into the life of Simon Peter. Let's find out a little bit more about who he was, what's happening and what brings about this transformation that occurs in his life. So, a little background. Um, Simon Peter is one of the Twelve Apostles. You probably know that. You may not know, but he's the first leader of the first church in Jerusalem. That happens in Acts 1 and 2. So we're heading towards that over this unfolding of this series. Um, He is uh, part of this fishing outfit out of a little place uh, right there on the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. And... He is probably a rough hewn character. Um, He would not have been lower class. He would have been middle class because he was a fisherman. It was a very respected trade. Um, And he was probably part of this little outfit Zebedee and Sons. They were his partners. James and John were actually called in Mark 3 17, who were his partners, Sons of Thunder. Have you ever heard that? What kind of temper do you think they had? How do you get the name Son of Thunder? I think there was some spiritual significance there, but I do think that you have a couple of guys here who are rough-hewn dudes. Now, I don't know if you've ever been fishing, but what happens out on the water usually stays out on the water. I think it's like Vegas. But you get out there onto the water and... I don't know, somehow all the rules go away, and what you say, and how you say it, and the way you act, it's all kind of a wild thing. And Jesus is calling his first disciples, his first apostles, and who does he go after? But these loud mouthed potentially angry, hot-headed fishermen. The guys I salmon fished with in Alaska were certainly not savory characters. Although they were pretty wealthy, they, made, they, they did well for themselves, but they were a little on the surly side. I imagine that's the way Peter was. So let me give you the setting here. The setting of this particular story would have been the Bay of Parables on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And it's this amazing setting because what you have is uh, the mountainside sort of goes down where Jesus would have probably preached the Sermon on the Mount. And it goes down all the way to the lake, and, and the Sea of Galilee is here. And it produces this natural sort of amphitheater. So the water and then, and then the shore is all there together. And it's such that if you put out in a boat, a man could stand there, a woman could stand there and speak in a loud voice, and the entire place could hear every word. It's like a natural sort of amphitheater where Jesus could have spoken that day and thousands could have heard what he was saying. Really a fascinating place in the Holy Land. If it didn't happen there exactly, it would have happened very close to there. But then what we have is the first use of Simon Peter's boat. I love this, and we'll get into it more in a few minutes. But he actually asks to use Simon Peter's boat as almost like a podium now, let me pause right there and just say, <clears throat> the reason I started in chapter four. Jesus is healing people. He actually heals Simon Peters, who? Mother-in-law. Mother-in-law that's right. Then it goes on, and he's got this massive healing ministry that is sort of um, unfurled. And I want you to look with me at verse 42 of chapter 4, it says at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Now, I'm convinced that our Jesus went out to a solitary place so that he could sort of empty himself out and then fill himself up with who? Yeah. I think the goal here and the reason Jesus is heading out is he's going, Lord, none of me, all of you, and sort of creating a model for all of us. Now, what's fascinating to me here is He is literally on the cusp. His ministry is just taking off. And suddenly, he's healing people is what it says. So people all over Capernaum, all the way down to Tiberias, there's little cities all around, they would have been coming to him. In fact, there uh, there were some hot springs in Tiberias, which is right near there, and it's, it's known for all their healing properties in the water. So many, many, many people would have been coming to Jesus. And as he was healing people, what would have happened? More would have come. And as he healed more, what would have happened? More would have come. Now, the natural thing we would sort of think is surely at this point, then, he would just take off and he'd have this massive, significant healing ministry in Israel, right? But he withdraws to a solitary place, and it appears that the Lord actually, that God actually steers him. Because look at his response in verse 43. The people tried to get him to stay and continue to heal people. And then he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I think what's fascinating here is you see the Lord Jesus actually saying no to a blossoming healing ministry so that he can preach the gospel, make disciples, and visit other towns. Isn't that fascinating? You actually see him as he goes out by himself. He empties himself out, and the Lord, Lord God, fills him up, gives him direction, and I actually think he boldly sort of closes the door on this healing ministry. He continues to heal people, but it wasn't the main thing. The main thing was to preach the gospel of Christ Jesus, to call this group of ragtag guys to begin to disciple them and to make his way through Israel preaching the gospel of Christ. Okay, So now we get into uh, Peter. Now let's let's just talk about Peter just a second, and let me give you some background on Peter and this boat that Jesus would have gotten into. In uh, 1986, there was this massive drought in Galilee. When the drought happened, it was so bad, the Jordan River stopped moving water, I guess, into the Sea of Galilee, and the level of the sea went down. And when the level of the sea went down, there was a boat that was revealed out in the mud. And they went out and they dug this boat out, and it was a 27-foot fishing vessel, boat. It had the capability of being rowed. It actually had the capability of being sailed. And you can actually go see this exact boat at a little museum in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's fascinating. They carbon dated it with the wood, and there was some pottery and different things found on the boat. And guess how old it was? We have a guess. 2,000 years on the dot, give or take 100 years from 50 B.C. to, you know, 50 A.D. or C.E., however you want to label that. It was right in there. Now, is that the boat Jesus stood on? We have no way of knowing. Could it have been? Absolutely. Could it have been Simon Peter's boat? Yes. Could it have been one of the sons of Zebedee, Zebedee and sons? Yes. And that very boat is there. It was a flat-bottom boat, so it could go really into shallow areas like the Bay of Parables, where Jesus was that day. It could have gone all the way up to the shore because of the way it was designed, and then it could have handled sailing and rowing out in open waters. Now, I also want to tell you that uh, the Sea of Galilee, I just think it's another important fact or piece of information, but you'd think a sea, surely it doesn't get very rough. Well, in 1992, there was 10-foot waves recorded on the Sea of Galilee. 10-foot seas, those are big you haven't ever been in a 10-foot sea, that's a big sea for a little 27-foot wooden boat. So these guys were certainly accustomed to violent storms, big storms, fierce winds coming down off the heights, around. And then you have Peter here that morning, washing his nets, minding his own business, although Jesus has healed his mother-in-law, so he knows this Jesus. He's got an eye on this person And he's there sort of minding his own business. And Jesus walks up to him. And he stands at the water's edge next to these boats. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. Now, I just imagine that what's happening in these moments is Peter actually climbs into the boat with Christ Jesus. And he takes the oars and he rows out. And one of the reasons I think Jesus rowed out from shore is because he was saying, I'm not going to have a healing ministry where all the people can crowd in and touch me. I'm going to step back so I can preach, and I'm going to call some disciples so I can proclaim the gospel of Christ Jesus. So you have Peter rowing that boat back into a little bit deeper waters so that Jesus can preach. And then Jesus begins to preach to the multitude there, gathered in that natural stone amphitheater. The first thing that I think we should take note of is Jesus always meets us where we are. Always meets us where we are. He will always come find you first. He went out that day, and he went right to Simon Peter's boat and climbed on. And said, Peter, would you push us out from shore? And all of a sudden you have Peter with his Lord, with his Savior, pushing that boat out. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is Jesus always calls us to surrender. It's part of our mission here, to lead people to become fully surrendered followers of Christ Jesus. So he called Simon Peter away from his task of washing nets. He's been fishing all night And he calls him to surrender the use of his boat. I want you to think of something with me. We're talking about Jesus, so think about the birth of Christ. What was the lady's name who carried Jesus in her belly? Mary. Mary. Jesus came to Mary. God actually came to Mary in the form of Gabriel and asked her to surrender her body for the use of his kingdom. Then an angel appeared to Joseph, who was Mary's husband-to-be, and asked him to surrender the use of his future wife. Don't think of it like that. But once Jesus comes to where we are, he often asks total surrender from us in the thing we do not want to give up. Can you imagine an angel appearing and asking Joseph to surrender the use of his wife, asking Mary to surrender the use of her body, asking them to give everything, asking Simon Peter after he's been fishing all night to use his boat. See, number one, Jesus meets us where we are, but number two, he then asks us to lay down everything in response to him. You know, we tend to measure people by their behavior, don't we? we tend to measure people by we could even call it sin if we want to use a bible word but we tend to measure people by their behavior good or bad but you know what god measures us by this is probably one of my favorite parts of peter god measures us by our surrender to him when you study the scriptures and you look at the people that god used moses who killed a guy david who killed a person and has adultery has all sorts of stuff in his past you got peter you got Saul, who becomes Paul. You've got people who have these sordid, ugly pasts. And God is not measuring them by their actions or their behavior. He is measuring them by their surrender. So I think a question that I would begin to call you to ask, to call us as a church to ask, is how surrendered am I? If Jesus has met you where you are, how surrendered are you? Your marriage, your family, your home, your kids. There's a correlation between your surrender to God and God's ability to promote and use you. Can I say that again? There's a correlation between how much you're willing to surrender your heart and your life to him and then his ability to work in and through you. You want to be someone who is highly influential and impactful in the kingdom of God? Be someone who surrenders everything. I was in a, uh, I was traveling back from a trip I just took and I caught an Uber from the airport in Raleigh um, to my wife's parents' house where my car was parked and the driver was a Muslim guy. And we started talking. And uh, it was a fabulous conversation. But he basically said, I am going to go to paradise when I die because I'm a good man. And he said, we're all measured by how good we are or how bad we are. And I began to share the gospel with this guy, sitting in this little Uber. (laughs) We're talking about the Muslim faith and the Christian faith. And then we talked about the Jewish faith because they're all Abrahamic faiths, you know. We talked about Calvary, we talked about Jerusalem, and we were all over the place. We talked about his lands and his family's lands in the West Bank. And then I got to pray with this guy. And he didn't have any massive transformation, but he starts crying in the front seat. And he pulled up to the house, and he actually got out, and he said, Mr. Michael, I going to give you this big hug. And he came over, and he gave me this big hug. And we had this moment, and I went, listen, my friend. You're not judged by what you've done. You'll be judged by who you know and who you've surrendered your life to. One of the things he'd said and I, was that he makes very little money on his Uber service. And I got done and I got, gave him a great rating on my phone and I tipped him more than the Uber cost itself because I thought, you know what, I want this guy to be blessed. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing. So Jesus calls Simon Peter to surrender his boat. I think another thing that we should at least acknowledge is there's a very American, there's a very Western idea of sort of coming to Jesus, like, I'm just going to believe in Jesus. He sort of drums up connotations, I'm going to come forward and I'm going to pray a prayer, and all that's okay. But when I read the Gospels, Jesus comes to us, number one, and then he asks us to come to him and lay it all down. Number two, lay it all down. And then number three, Jesus always asks for obedience in the face of adversity. So you've got Simon Peter, who, who it's all, uh, he's, he's sort of fished all night, he's grumpy, I'm sure the guys he's with are upset. And then Jesus asks for obedience, and he says to Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Peter would have been probably misunderstood. He would have been disliked by the guys around him. Ah, we don't want to, we just cleaned the nets, and we're going to have to dirty the whole thing up again and push out into deep waters. But he did it. He obeys in the face of adversity. The fish that they probably would have caught that day would have been something called tilapia. And they cook them all over Galilee. Still, if you go to the restaurants, there's little tilapia fish that they cook. weighs up to maybe three pounds. But they filled the boats with those fish that day. And Peter has the courage to listen and then to obey, to actually do what he says, what Jesus says. And then we see Jesus issue a call that must be answered. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, I love this because you have Simon Peter going, depart from me, Lord Jesus. Once they catch all these fish, Peter has this revelation. So now Peter's seen the Lord Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Peter has seen... This supernatural catch of fish, he worked himself all night. He and his team worked all night long, and they caught absolutely nothing. And then when Jesus says to go out and cast out that net, what happens? This huge catch of fish. Two boats have to gather together. And Jesus issues a call to him. From now on, I will make you a fisher of people. And Peter leaves that big catch of fish. I don't know what that would have been worth. And he leaves his boat, and he literally walks away, and he follows Christ. I'm coming back this past week from a trip that I took with my younger brother. You've got to know a little bit about me to understand this full story, but I have a um, seven-year painful hole in my life, I've got a testimony. Maybe you do too. It's a testimony of God's goodness in spite of my failure, much like Peter. But my brother, uh, who I missed seven years of his life, age 12 to age 19, called me and asked me to be the best man in his wedding. And then he called me a couple of months ago and he said, hey Michael, my dream would be to go down to the islands and the Caribbean and rent a sailboat, and take all my groomsmen and go for a sail. I was like, just that I have this relationship with my brother after seven years apart. Just that he would ask me to be his best man. Just that he would call and say, hey, will you take us, this group of guys, sailing? I said, yes, absolutely. So we rented a boat, and we got down there. I was a day ahead of everybody, and I got down there, and I went down to the harbor, and looked at all these boats, and. I started looking at the length of the boat we rented, 45 feet. I started looking at the beam, the width of the boat we rented. I started looking at the tonnage of the boat we rented. I started looking at the steering mechanisms and the sails. And I went, I'm not sure that I'm worthy to drive this boat. The company said I was. They took my little resume and said, oh, you're good. But I stood down there on the dock and I went, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? I can't do this. And I went and met with the managers of the little the company or whatever, and I said, I need a captain. And you know, one of the benefits of being 38 and not 28 is if I was 28, guess who'd have that boat? <laughs> right here, because I knew everything. At 38, I stood on that dock and went, Oh, the sailing trip's optional, returning home is not. (laughs) I'm hiring a captain. So we hired a captain, this Frenchman, and he navigated us. We did a 90 mile open ocean passage and then another 90 mile open ocean passage back. It was an amazing experience. And the Frenchman was a non-believer, and I spent the whole week sharing with him, sitting on the bridge, Steering, talking about sails, raising and lowering. I'm steering the boat, going from island to island. And as I was sitting there, I'm thinking about this whole passage, and I'm thinking about Simon Peter, when Jesus comes to him and says, put out your boat. And he did it. And then that moment where Simon Peter goes, depart from me, Lord. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. Depart from me. I'm a sinner, oh, Lord. That moment of just sheer repentance, that moment of like this deep guttural thing where he goes, I can't do what you've called me to do. In some little teeny drop of way, it reminded me standing on the dock where I went, this boat's too much for me. I got a text this morning. I left a day early. My brother and the rest of the guys stayed an extra day. And guess what happened yesterday? You know what happened to our captain? Captain. Gave his life to Jesus. Not cool. I bet he said the f bomb <laughs> two thousand times, maybe three thousand times. Jesus wants to make us fishers of men and women. The church doesn't exist because of who we are in here. And if you're like me, you probably look at your life and you go, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not special enough, I'm not educated enough, I don't know enough, I'm not like a good speaker enough, I don't know what to say. I just sat on the bridge with that guy while he dropped F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb, and I just talked to him, and we shared, and all week long, we listened to this crazy guy's stories. We're now friends on Facebook. God has called us as a church to become fishers of men and women. God has called us as a church to choose to be uncomfortable, to put ourselves in positions that you may not like, and it might even offend your religious self. Can I say that? We won't be in a high school forever. God will give us a building one of these days and we'll go. But right now, we're in this little high school because it is so safe for a person who's far from God. Someone who's far from God. Someone who drops the F-bomb 2,000 times a day and drinks 12 beers a day and smokes six packs of He, he smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. <laughs> literally, literally. Didn't even drink water. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> But why am I telling you this? Because God has called us to be fishers of men. God has called us and he has equipped us to reach the city of Wilmington. And we tend to walk around and go, Wilmington's in the Bible Belt South and there's a church on every corner and guess what? They're all saved and they don't need us. And we go about our merry way and we forget that people's life and future is on the line. We forget that God has called us to be carriers of the gospel of Christ Jesus. We forget and we get so focused on us like Simon Peter was this day. He is so focused on who he is and who he's not. Are you like that? You get focused on who we're not. We get focused on our lack instead of focused on who he is. You'll hear me stand up here a lot and say, the finished work of Christ Jesus. What am I talking about there? I'm saying that Jesus has paid it all. I'm saying that Michael is now dead and Jesus now lives in Michael and through Michael. And I'm inviting you to join into that journey. If you want to be a fisher of men and a fisher of women, this is a good place to be. But as we go on this journey of looking at Simon Peter, as we go on this journey of understanding who he was and who he is becoming, I want to call you to find yourself in it. I want to call you to begin to take all your inadequacies, like Simon Peter had that day, even all of your sin, and bring it under the lordship of Christ Jesus. Because in that place, you can leave it there and you can become who He's created you to be. Here's my question. Will you join me in answering the call to surrender everything you have?